Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the LawCast. This time, we're going back to cover the great WCW reboot. It's Spring Stampede 2000. Kyush, is this the hardest reboot you've ever seen from a wrestling company? Not just from a wrestling company. You would be hard-pressed, even like comic book franchises. Oh, man. Movie franchise. This is a reboot on par with literally anything you can possibly imagine. But with wrestling, it's different because it's such a day-to-day product that it's literally like people turn the channel off one week, came back the next week, and everything they understood about the show they had been watching was fundamentally different immediately. (laughs) Well, luckily for WCW, nobody had been watching the shows before. True. Um, yeah, I just, I have a really strong memory of watching the, and this was the first time I had watched Nitro in a while. Cause I had pretty much checked out after the radicals quit. I remember turning, like tuning in to watch this one, knowing that Russo and Bischoff were back and just kind of being blown away by how crazy a show it was. And like, I understand their goal. Their goal was certainly to say, okay, look. We've lost the audience because they're not interested. The number one thing we have to do is get them interested again. Then we can go down and like book some interesting storylines, make these characters great, blah, blah, blah. But we have to get people a reason to say, oh, let's give that a chance again. Yeah. (laughs) And obviously that doesn't happen. (laughs) No, we'll talk about whether or not they succeeded. But first, we've got our three current wrestling stories to cover. Now, We're getting a little ahead of our recording schedule here. We're both going to be traveling for Christmas next week, so we're knocking this one out early. It's Wednesday night. Dynamite just went off the air, so we're coming hot off the presses with this one. We've got a three-way tie at the top of the Gold League standings in the AEW Continental Classic. That thing we said they wouldn't do, they did it. Swerve Strickland beat Roosh. Jay White knocked off John Moxley. So they're all four and one with 12 points. We're going to have a triple threat match in the semifinal to determine who wins the blue block or who wins the gold block and goes to the final. What do you think of that? I think it's incredibly awesome. Like I had said uh, when we discussed the possibility of it, that I probably wouldn't do it the first time just so we can kind of establish the way it's normally supposed to go. But fuck the rules, man. If it's cool, do it. Rule it cool. Like this rules. It's a great way to make Swerve look great for getting into that triple threat while he doesn't need to catch a pinfall to lose it. So he's not going to lose momentum. Um, I really think this is going to be Jay White. I'm fucking psyched to see Jay White. Hopefully he wins the whole fucking thing. This is great. I'm all in. Yeah. Feels huge for Jay that he got to pin Moxley. I mean, Moxley does not get beat very often. Yeah. This is what I love about Jay as a character in New Japan. And they're, they're bringing it over in a really interesting way to AEW is that like, he's a chicken shit heel. Like, he's not the kind of guy you would think of as beating people, but he's the kryptonite of top guys Yeah, because he's just so fucking sneaky and clever and has a counter to everything. And, like, maybe he'll, blow, you know, he'll, miss, he'll have a boo-boo and blow a match he should win, but then he'll come out and take down the top guy in the promotion. He was Okada's kryptonite. Yeah. Because he was the time, one right? guy who figured him out. So... 
You think it's Jay White coming out on top? He was my pick from the beginning, and I think I'm going to stick with it. I think Jay, Jay versus Danielson seems like the right tournament final. That would be a huge match, and I think Jay winning this thing is the right move because I think he needs something to be special. And if you get down to Danielson versus Jay, you get a really interesting scenario where if Jay wins, then suddenly he gets his ticket stamped back to New Japan. Yeah. Because he's been banned not only from wrestling for New Japan, but for wrestling in the country of Japan without Eddie Kingston's permission. I love that. Alternatively, Danielson could just win the whole fucking thing and then carry this triple crown title into his match with Okada at Wrestle Kingdom. Would it be on the line? That's also fucking awesome. I mean, it would be weird for New Japan. I mean, the, the world's end is December 30th, and then Danielson's going to have to hop a plane straight to Japan from, uh, from you know, guys going to fly all the way from New York. Um, but it's going to be, it would be kind of weird for New Japan if he just shows up with this belt for that match and it was on the line, but who knows? Or he could just come out with a belt, as guys frequently do on wrestling shows now. It's also very possible that he could, like, cut a promo somewhere during this house show loop and, like, that, like, airs during an Okada match. It says, like, I just won this belt. You want a taste of it? Yeah. Man. Um, And Mark Briscoe got on the board with a win by beating Jay Lethal. Good for Briscoe. He had a hell of a run in this tournament. This made me happy in two ways. One, that Mark Briscoe gets on the board after working his ass off. And two, that Jay Lethal gets zero points. Because that actually fits his character. Yeah. Right now, he sucks. Like, he's not anybody who's worth it, both in and out of character. Him losing this could spurn some kind of change. <laughs> or it should get him fired. That's fine, too. What Promotion if the Con- relegation. Dude, what if the Continental Classic was like the Feaster fired in Feaster TNA? Fired. Like, yeah. Whoever's last gets fired. <laughs> I kind of love the stakes of that. Again, promotion and relegation like they have in European soccer where the last place team in the league gets bounced out. Yeah. I mean, rack it up. You're going to want to face the best of the best? Great. But if you lose, if you are at the bottom, there is a punishment. You're out. All right. Um, Cannot wait to see what happens here. Uh, By the next time we have a show... It's going to be the new year, and we will have had the finals of this baby, which is going to be crazy. I am already – they have my money already for Worlds End. I don't give a fuck what else is on it. Like, any combination of what we have now in this semifinals going to the finals, I don't care what it is. I love this tournament so much that they could ask me for $100 for this pay-per-view, and they would get it. Come to think of it, what else is on this card? I think we're getting, we got MJF versus Samoa Joe, Christian. They've only announced three matches, and they've only really announced two matches. We've got Tony Storm versus Riho and MJF versus Samoa Joe. Uh, Edge has challenged Christian to a no-DQ match, so presumably that will happen. And then, obviously, we've got the finals of this tournament, and we don't know what they are yet. Would you have that as the main as the main event or MJF Joe? Uh, I think it's got to be MJF Joe since it's it's in Long Island and we're probably going to get the devil reveal as part of that. That's true. That's true. I, I'm so curious about what this is going to be because now all of these well we're about to cover all these rumors about MJF are swirling yet again, but also the injury rumors about MJF. Like, yeah. is he going to have to drop it here? No devil reveal. 
He's definitely hurt. Oh, so we let's just go on to topic two, which is MJF contract speculation. Um, MJF said in an interview this week that he hasn't signed a new contract with AEW and his contract is up at the end of the year. Are you buying this? I can't believe he like either hasn't signed a long-term extension or at least a short-term one. I know they played with fire with Cody and the TNT title before, but like, I have a hard time believing they're just like Max still has this belt if he hasn't signed a new contract. Here's the thing. And like kayfabe wise, I know that they were like, my contract ends at December 30th at midnight as a clock ticks over to January 1st. And I'm like, all right, no, that's not true. But whenever it actually does expire, I don't know. I, I don't really know what to make of it at this point. Like it doesn't. I'm, we got pretty clear like guidance that MJF had signed a contract a couple of months ago. And, of course, yeah. that would make more sense. Why would you keep the fucking belt on him if you had no assurance he was staying? But no. if it might be smart of them to work that into a storyline because yeah. it's something that's believable. I think – I don't know if he's going to lose – he might just lose the belt to Joe. But if he doesn't lose to Joe, I think he's going to lose the belt – not super long after World's End, because I just think he needs some time off. Like, he's clearly banged up. He hurt himself in a couple different spots in that Jay White match. I think the character needs a little bit of... He needs a little time to, like, freshen up the character and they can figure out what to do with him. I've not been in love with this babyface run he's been having. I think he needs to turn back heel, and dropping the title and going away for a few months might be exactly what he needs. I mean, it could be something that, like, he beats Joe, but then he reveals that he was the devil, and actually he's quitting this shitty-ass company and taking the belt with him. That's an idea, and then we can have a tournament to crown a new champion, and he can come back, and they can both have belts, and I don't know, we can have... Who's the real champion? Is it CM Punk, who still has his version of the AEW title? Do you think he ever gave that thing back? Of course he didn't. There's no way he gave that back. He's still got that thing on his mind. But he literally spray-painted an X on it. It's not worth anything now. Yeah. We could have all these different versions of the belt possible. I mean, I, do you think we'll do some kind of, We It wouldn't surprise me if they did some kind of storyline about him walking out. I mean, was the walkout in 20... I mean, does anybody, anybody ever confirm whether the walkout in 22 was real or whether they were just giving him some time off as part of the storyline? I think it was part of the storyline. We never got confirmation about that. They've been very cagey about this. And I hope what it is is that Tony Khan realizes that this people are so afraid of MJF leaving that this does have the potential to genuinely resonate in some kind of storyline. It does. Now, one thing that's notable, he's not in any of the promotional materials for the Wembley show. It's true. I look at every single poster they put up, and he's not in them. I haven't looked at the Revolution stuff, actually. Let me see if he's on the Revolution poster. Might just be a giant poster of Sting. It, it in fact, is a giant poster of Sting. So. Naturally, sure. I mean, that's what it should be, right? Yeah. So, yeah, uh, I have not seen whether they're promoting him for Revolution or whether he's promoted for any of the AEW shows in the new year. Um, I don't know what kind of local promotion they even have. I don't know if they do local promotion. That's a good question. It explains but it is some worth, of these collision houses if they don't. 
It is worth mentioning, though, that the two shows that they are most most promoting right now past World's End don't feature or even really require MJF to be part of the promotion for them in order to work. That's a good point. So does that mean anything? Does that mean that they won't have him? Does that mean that that's going to be part of the story? Who the fuck knows? It does seem like somebody's preparing for something. Yeah, like Revolution's clearly going to be headlined by Sting. And then Wembley. And it doesn't really matter what else they put on it. Yeah. And Forbidden Door. MJ, MJF hates New Japan anyway. Right. He doesn't want to so, wrestle at New. He doesn't want to wrestle on a New Japan show. He could be spending time with his cat. How fucking funny would it be if there was some reason for him to show up at Wrestle Kingdom and he was just like, bleh, bleh. <laughs> Most heelish thing he ever said was that he doesn't even pretend to like New Japan. Unlike all you people out there who pretend like you actually watch it and you don't. And at that moment, I was like, "This that's supposed to be heelish. But you know what? Fuck all of you. You are all like that's that. That's like 90% of their fan base. None of y'all are fucking perverts watching house shows in Japanese like me. Fuck y'all. All right. Story number three. Mercedes Monet is not signing with AEW, reportedly. We'll see. Interesting. I know this felt like a done deal when she was at the Wembley show, but apparently they have not been able to come to an agreement because her asking price is too high. Um, the only company that can meet an asking price that AEW can't is WWE. Like she's not getting that kind of money in Japan. Here's the thing though. I- I've heard like between the Okada thing and this and the Osprey thing, I was wondering why there were suddenly so many people who, like, couldn't meet the asking price and stuff. And it occurred to me that finally there's actually, like, a free agency out there. Yeah. Not since WCW has there genuinely been open bidding over top talent. If you're a top talent, you'd be doing yourself a gigantic disservice to settle until you've gotten the best offer you can get. Yeah, everybody should be letting their contract expire. Like, don't take the rollover. Like, notify them you're going to let the contract expire and get on the open market. You know, go have some very public lunches with Tony Khan. He'll pay. God knows when, if this will last or how long it will last or whatever. But for the moment, there are three top companies in this industry, and they're all offering money. And, like, guys, get the bag. As the fast as you can. That could happen. That interest, I mean, like, part of what the NWA was, was wrestler, you know, wrestling promoters cooperating to hold down wrestler wages. I don't think we ever have that with WCW and the WWF. I don't think Vince and Ted Turner ever, like, shared what guys were going to get paid to hold down their money because i think nope. turner was just trying to spend vince into the ground and i don't think tony and Vin, i don't think tony and like i don't think they would do it today because the risks are too high that you're going to get investigated for antitrust violations and like it must always be a slight concern especially for wwe side like Let's not push them towards that U word any more than we absolutely have to, because that's coming one day, but it doesn't need to be today. The other thing is, too, though, is that like between Ted and Vince, it was personal in such a way that I just don't think they could get there together. And between Triple H and Tony Khan, I think it's pretty similarly personal at this point. Personal. Yeah. Um, 
I think Monet Mercedes is one of the biggest potential stars in wrestling and they should meet her asking price. I think what AEW is missing is a big time woman. And if they need to cut some people to make up room, make room for the money, just do it. They're paying a lot of people, a lot of money that I don't think they need. Yeah. I wonder if they're afraid of like completely shattering because yeah. it sounds like they really broke out the books for Will Ospreay. Now if they do it twice in a row, suddenly yeah. everybody on the roster is like, all right, give me that big money. You're giving it out to everybody now. And the other like, thing is too, though, how much did they pay Edge and he's not drawing at all? Right. Here's the, I'm glad you said the word drawing. Because you know what does provably draw on AEW shows? The women. Yeah. You know what provably draws on WWE shows? The women. That is what draws. Like, literally, you can go to the the ratings for each individual Dynamite and just see them spike when women's wrestling is happening. It's not a coincidence. It's happened far too consistently for far too long. And yet, WWE finally decided to invest in their women's wrestling to the point where it's now treated almost equal to the men's wrestling. Not quite, but almost. AEW is lagging hugely far behind on no, that. No, I don't think – it's remarkable that AEW's women's division does ratings because I don't think AEW's women's division has ever been good. Yeah, and they're drawing ratings with, like, Abaddon and people who have never been on TV. So people must just be genuinely interested in the idea of these women wrestling because they're not getting anything out of this. There's no, no storylines. There's nothing to get attached to. Aside from Literally, I don't think this women's division has ever been booked well. They've not never, even the only star they remotely made was Jade Cardgill. I mean, Britt was a star for a while. Yeah, and, and then, now what the fuck happened? Yeah. Well, that whole thing with Thunder Rosa made everybody pump the brakes on putting her on TV, and then yeah. she lost all her momentum, and now she's dead. They made a... Uh, God, I can't even remember her fucking name now. <laughs> Yeah, uh, Britt's one. friend uh, begins with a J. Fuck. Oh, I don't know. I don't remember. Yeah. Yeah. Literally, like, w- they have not paid enough attention. And it's to their detriment. It's the same way that, like, TNA was with their X Division, where it's like, you guys don't seem to understand what it is your fans actually want to watch. Yeah. <laughs> and they keep trying to tell you. So maybe this is just a smoke screen and she's actually going to show up at World's End. It's entirely possible. I wouldn't be surprised. But if I were advising Mercedes at this point, I would tell her to go to WWE. Yes. I think that's the better place for her, to be honest. Holy shit. Her and Rhea at WrestleMania. Like, she's been gone long enough that now there's a, new, there's a new crop of stars yeah. for her to wrestle. All these girls about to come out of NXT yeah. and tear the shit up. Like, let's go. Oh, man. Like, just her and Bailey interacting again after all these years. Yeah. It's like, it doesn't feel like it's been that long, but it's a different universe for women there than it was when she left. When did she leave? It was still the Thunderdome, right? Wasn't it like spring 2021? Yeah. Yeah. When she and, uh, what, she and Naomi just like dropped the tag belts on Johnny Ace's desk and walked out. Because they wanted him to do like a job in 10 seconds or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, not only is Johnny Ace no longer there, but like Triple H is now in charge. There's no more Vince. It's a boom period. Like, go home. We'll like, paid. I think that's the best place. Yeah, a couple mil a year. Yeah. Uh, we'll keep an eye on that. All right. Let's go back in time 
to the cursed time of April 2000. While the WWF is putting on WrestleMania 2000 and Backlash 2000, one of the great pay-per-views in wrestling history, WCW is not thriving after the incredible failure of the early months of 2000. Turner executive Brad Siegel made the decision to bring back the supposed dream team of Eric Bischoff and Vince Russo. What do you think of the idea of trying to get these two guys to work together? Look, despite the fact that obviously these are two people who do not like each other, have very little in common, and don't want to work together. If you're an executive at this point, you have to be looking at this thing like, all right, we already invested a ton of money in Russo. And like Bischoff's the only guy who was ever able to actually do anything with this company. So like we got to bring Bischoff back because he's the only one who knew what to do with it. But also his ideals got super stale and he's not a creative guy. What if we put them together? Because and I'm sure somebody went to somebody backstage and was like, you know, Russo was better with Vince as a filter. Yeah. So what if you gave him a filter in Bischoff and they could establish a similar relationship? That's not what happens, but I can see how you get talked into it. I have a suspicion that would be Kevin Nash. Probably. Um, Kevin Nash is just trying to get out of the chair himself. And he's just like, yeah, those guys, give it to those guys. I have a suspicion they were trying to get Russo to quit with this. Like Russo had gone home. But they hadn't fired him. They weren't firing him for cause because I think they breached his contract by trying to make him work as part of a booking committee instead of being the head of creative. So they weren't going to stop paying him. So Russo sat at home for several months here and the checks kept coming. And I think at a certain point, they're just like, okay, we can't fire him. So let's just bring him back and see if he'll quit. And that's. Yeah, doesn't, I'm trying to think, doesn't that actually happen? No, instead he cost the company millions of dollars with the bash at the beach. Yeah, thing. the Hogan thing, unfortunately. <laughs> and they still didn't fire him after that. Here's the thing. If they did intend to try to make him quit, I would argue that Bischoff didn't get that memo because it genuinely seems like Bischoff tried to make this work. I think he, he tries was. to be. He tries to be collaborative with Russo. This show is a Russo show. From top to bottom, it feels like him. Now, that does not to say that Bischoff had nothing to do with it. It's structured a little bit better in some ways than your normal Russo show tended to be. But it's it's certainly not like they're burying Russo and shoving him to the back of the writer's room. So officially, Bischoff is rehired on March 22nd as a consultant to oversee creative. He's not the president of WCW anymore. It's a different position. Um, This led to Bill Bush quitting, which I don't think anybody really missed him. No. It also just feels wrong, though, because, it it, again, it feels like this is a misunderstanding of what Bischoff's role in the success of this company was. His role was not creative. His role was branding. That was his genius. He understood how to brand the company in a positive way. He's not a creative man. Yeah, he's not. He doesn't understand wrestling on an inherent level. He just doesn't. 
Um, and Kevin Sullivan and J.J. Dillon were sent home. The uh, this is like, it's like when there's a coup in a country and then like the old regime is restored to power and they put the guys who betrayed the king's heads on sticks outside the castle. Uh, yep. The pl- the plotters are sent home. I mean, although their fate is they get sent home and they get paid out for the rest of their contracts to not work. There are worse things in the world. That's the thing. Kevin Sullivan and Mike Graham's head should have been on Ooh. stakes out front of the Turner offices. <laughs> but like, what did they care at the like I can't imagine Sullivan cared at this point. No. He made his one big run, and if his intention was to get yeah. Bischoff or to get Benoit out of the fucking company, which it probably was, that he did it. Good for yeah. you, buddy. So according to Bischoff, WCW had to rehire him with a new contract to get him to come back. He, he like he still got paid out on his old deal. Because they fired him, but not for cause. Like, they just removed him because they didn't think he was doing a good job. But it wasn't like they caught him stealing money from the company or anything. They still paid him out on his existing contract and then hired him back with another contract for even more money. I don't know if it was more money, but additional money. And they gave him a three-picture deal where he was going to get to produce three movies for Turner. I don't know if that happened. It may, I think it was just a pay or play thing and they just paid him out on it. But that's the thing. He got paid a giant lump sum on his old yeah. contract to sign the new contract, signs a more lucrative contract with benefits. He also got way more vacation time on the new contract. I'm sure. Uh, so, he, so he could go fly fishing in Wyoming like he liked to do. It's just good shit, man. Like, yeah. why would you say no to this just to come in and oversee yeah. creative Deal with way less headaches than before. Like, doesn't have to deal with Turner Corporate anymore. Doesn't have to deal with, like, the actual management of the shows, the booking, the buildings, any of that. He's literally just editing Russo's scripts at this point. Pretty good deal. This is the least heat position in the entire company. Because he can always just say, wasn't my idea. I was just overseeing. (laughs) That's what he says about everything. Yeah, that wasn't me. That was Russo. He can say that. He was the one overseeing all the shit. Um, Bischoff says Siegel told him he wanted Bischoff to oversee Russo because Russo's creative instincts were too dark and he didn't understand storytelling. Correct. I mean, yeah. Here's the reality. What the fuck does Vince Russo know about either wrestling or writing TV? He's just a fan. It's like if you hired one of us. I mean, it, it literally is. What he did is he became pretty good at structuring and making scripts. And the funniest thing is, is that he seemed to be the only writer in all of wrestling during the 90s who figured out how to make a functional script. And that's literally what got him hired again and again. Yeah. He only got hired at TNA because he's the only person in the company who understood how to put a script together. What he's brilliant at is like the transition segments the way and like threading a story through the show, which is frequently missing from wrestling today. Frequently dynamite today is just like match promo match promo match. No running story through the show. Like Russo always did a good job of having his shows have a beginning, a middle and an end, a story that would keep popping up throughout it. And like, that's, a special thing that really only he seems to have ever mastered. Cause I can't yeah. really think of many times that they, other companies have done that successfully. It was his hallmark. Yeah. Um, 
he's terrible at crafting story arcs or, you know, just any long-term book. Like, anytime he gets a good idea, he blows it off way too fast. This was true even in the WWF. He would blow through stuff way too fast. His greatest long-term booking achievement in WWF, I think you'd have to say, is Survivor Series Rock, 98, yeah. where Rock turns. But people forget. It was about a month-long story. It was about a month, and yeah. really it was more like two weeks. Yeah. So really... <laughs> yeah. The April 3rd Nitro was canceled in favor of just doing a clip show where the announcers hyped up the new era that was going to start last week. I kind of like that. Um, Bischoff says he pushed to actually have them go dark for longer, but um, Brad Siegel didn't want to do it, which is fair. Like this company's already bleeding money, not running shows for a while isn't going to help, but I like having a one week to like start over and hype it. Cause this way People who don't read the dirt sheets know Bischoff is back. Something big is happening here. Yeah. I want to say this because I feel like companies get fall in love with this idea of like the clean slate. And there's never really going to be, a, even if you shut this thing you down for a year past. and came back, there's always a past. Doesn't matter if you change your name. Functionally speaking, like TNA right now is changing its name from Impact to TNA. I think that's a better name. I'm a little bit nostalgic for it. But does it actually make a difference? No. no. And it will never. Like, it, it's you can't run away from your past that way. All you can do is actually consistently put on good wrestling shows until you build that momentum back up. But that's not something either Bischoff or Russo has any actual experience in doing. No, and isn't that one of the hardest parts about wrestling is you're always dealing with somebody else's stories? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Bookers don't last that long. Like, they just don't. Um, we're going to start to see burnout from Triple H in about two years because it's yeah. about a five-year shelf life before people burn the fuck out. God, it's just how bookers, it works. Booking three-hour Raws and two-hour SmackDowns is tough. And he, he does have a writing team, but I do think he is the one doing, like, all the big stuff. And, like, listen, Vince McMahon did it for 30 years because he's not human. Like he's, he's just, also terrible at it. Yeah. Like we have he's to objectively say every 15 years, he'd have a five year run of good shit. And that's, that's it. <laughs> he did it twice. And then the rest of it was pretty awful. Most of the time, we just have to accept that that's the case. Burnout is real. Uh, the infamous reboot nitro took place April 10th from the Pepsi Center in Denver. They debuted a new set, thankfully getting rid of the robot butthole set they had before. Thank God. <laughs> like, th this set is not as good, I feel like, as the original. Maybe they should have just gone back to the original Nitro set. I don't Is it wrong to go backwards? I mean, I think it is wrong to go backwards. Like, as much as we all sit around and go, like, man, what if they went back to the Raw's war set now? Wouldn't yeah. it be so fucking cool? It wouldn't feel right now. Sure. It's just not the same time. It's not the same place. Even at this point, they've moved on past that. You have to find something else that's different. Uh, the show started with most of the roster already in the ring. Jarrett grabbed the mic to introduce Vince Russo as Vince McMahon's best-kept secret. And then... Vince Russo came through the curtain to the Road Warriors music. 
Yeah. Whatever. What do you think of putting Russo on TV as a character? I don't care for it. I mean, he's Horrible. an absolute heel because he's despisable by anyone who has any modern oh, yeah. sense. But he just doesn't have any instincts for television. You're never going to get something in the ring out of it. No. Like, the idea that you have to have a non-wrestler GM just because Vince was so unbelievably good in that role is... And, and so was Bischoff. Yeah. But, like, those are two they, like, they do bring out Bischoff in a minute, but, like, I to me, this show, in kayfabe, this show should be about the fact that Eric Bischoff has regained power, and God help us all, what's going to happen now? And I kind of like the idea of Bischoff coming back and all the old guys being like, oh, yeah, we're going back to the good old days. Like, no, being like failed me. Fuck every one of you. Yeah. These young bucks are taking you all down. I'm just being like, you're the guys who got me fired. I love that idea. Yeah. And then like, but what it should have been is like over the course of weeks, you yeah. have like Hogan and Sting and they have to make uneasy alliances because they fucking hate each other. Because of course yeah. they would. These but guys like, all have pasts. It makes sense that the young guys would all just band together because we haven't yeah. seen them long enough to like it matter that Vampiro and this guy don't get along. Who cares? But we've seen enough of Sting and Hogan that like you're going to need to explain why they would want to team together. And they really just don't. <laughs> so Russo came out. He did a promo complaining about how he was mistreated by backstage politicians in both the WWF and WCW. He says the good boys forced the good old boys forced him out of WCW and now they're sitting at home watching him on TV. He name dropped Benoit Malenko, Guerrero, Saturn, and Shane Douglas as guys who left because WCW sucked without him. Not a great promo. He would get better as a performer with more practice. I do think he did actually end up becoming a pretty good heel in a few months, but here he's clearly very nervous. The other thing is, too, is that, like, the message of this promo was all wrong. Yeah. Like, invoking all of WCW's, like, actual backstage issues, like, there's plenty of kayfabe shit that you could point to as being the problem. You don't need to, like, bring up this weird dirt sheet reality that your fans just don't understand. Yeah, would you have them say the problem is that they've, you know, Hogan and Flair are still hogging the main event when it should be these young guys instead. Yeah, oh, yeah. All you would have to do is be like, Hulk Hogan, you act like you're such a good guy. You listen to all this shit you did with the NWO. You yeah. tried to kill this company for years, and now you have the balls to pretend like the fans should love you? Fuck you. Same with you, Flair. Same with you, Sting. How many times can you pretend to be a good guy and then stab your friends in the back? We don't trust you, and we don't want you. Bischoff interrupted him. Bischoff coming out looking real slick with the long silver hair. Silver Look, Fox. He never man. should have dyed that hair back black, man. Oh. Silver Fox Bischoff is the money. Man. Uh, but then him and Russo hug, so it's a swerve. Um, the story had been out there in the sheets that they were going to be on opposing sides. I don't know if that was originally the plan, or maybe they may have intentionally put that out as misinformation. Do you think they should be on the same side, or should they be fighting each other? I just, I don't think that Russo needs to be an on-screen no. part of this at all, because I think Bischoff is enough. Ex exactly. Bischoff the is 
an all-time performer and was basically the main now if not the main character one of the main characters on this show for years and people understand who he is people understand eric bischoff was running the company before yeah and that's a good example of the kayfabe meeting the reality in a way that fans understand like fans understand oh bischoff's back he's gonna he's took over again shit things are gonna go back to the way they were like and he has so many experiences and feuds with these other players that it just makes sense Introducing uh, Russo as if we understand Russo's character motivation when we don't, unless you read the dirt sheets, just doesn't make sense. Bischoff said he was sick of the old guys and it was time for change. And then DDP, Sting, Luger, and Sid came out. Bischoff proceeded to make shooty comments burying all of them, including asking Sid if he had a softball game that night. And then Bischoff announced all the champions would be stripped of their titles. Uh, Bischoff and Sid faced off. Bischoff asked Sid if he had his scissors, and no one reacted. Um, this is a great example. We referenced yeah. last week when Punk brought up like getting into a fight, and no, none of the fans knew what the fuck he was talking about. And that's a way more famous incident than some shit that happened in a German hotel room in 1994. Yeah. I had no, like, I was watching live. I had no idea what he was talking about. And again, there's plenty you could say to Sid to make fun of Sid. He's a big goofball. Just mock him for being an idiot or whatever. I you thought maybe he was. Refer- I there. thought maybe he was referencing something that happened with Bruce Beefcake. That kicks ass. <laughs> oh yeah, That's he he Beefcake scissors on him. That's who should have come out here, the Booty Man, to the betray Hulk man. Hogan. Uh, they did that already. But, like, what would be a better thing to do? Like, do you think that stripping all the titles no. was the right move? No, there was no reason to do it. Like, you could just have all, you could just say all the champions have to defend their titles at Spring Stampede, and they can all lose their belts at Spring Stampede, but just holding them all, uh, that's that's extreme. And these belts had already been devalued to shit at this point. I actually like the idea. Let's say that all the like all the people who are holding belts were going to be like your baby faces, right? And it's like Sting and Hogan and shit like that. And what if you like Bischoff concocted preposterous candy cat matches? Like, oh, Hogan's got his hand tied behind his back and he's facing fifteen guys and like some dumb shit like that. And he had to do a thing like when Cena and Orton faced the whole Raw roster at the same time. That's at least compelling, and it makes the old guys actual baby faces. Oh, later in the show, Kidman came out and did a heel promo on Hogan. Predictably, it was not very good. He did get to reference Hogan's bald spot, which in my understanding had always been a no-no. We have spent weeks on this season discussing why what did they see in kidman and why did they see it and this is the ultimate in that because not only do they see a star in kidman they're like he's the gonna guy. lead the charge yeah he's the guy yeah like i guess they think this is their new number one heel or number two after jared but i'd rather i'd probably rather get the hogan feud than the title at this point here's the fascinating question the one guy who could conceivably be part of the young guys who they understand should still be a baby face is Booker T because yeah. he's kind of uneasily a member of the group 
but he's really not. Should they have just turned him heel and gone with him as the leader of this? Yeah, probably. Because like Booker him can, in there can with play Hogan. a great heel. Yeah, putting uh, him Hogan in there may with not Hogan. have been into that. Well, yeah, because he actually would have shown him up. <laughs> but like Booker's the only one of these young guys who has enough that it makes it work, you know. Hogan beat up Kidman until Bischoff came out and hit him with a chair, and Hogan juiced. I want you guys to imagine what it looks like when Billy Kidman and Hulk Hogan stand next to each other. It's like he's beating up a child. Kidman is Hogan is legit a foot taller than Kidman. Kidman's probably five six or five seven, and Hogan's six six to six seven. When I was a little kid, I went to the basketball hall of fame. And they have this like big stand-up thing that show like this is how tall Sean Kemp is, yeah. and this is how tall Manute Bowl is, and this is how tall all these guys are. And I remember looking up at him being like, "People can't be that tall. It doesn't make sense." And that's how Billy Kidman must have felt. Hogan is tw- and Hogan. The other thing is, Kidman is also skinny. Yes, he's short and he's really scrawny. It's not you know somebody like. Chris Benoit is short, but he's so stocky and jacked, it's a little different. Kidman is scrawny. Like, it looks like Hogan would beat the shit out of him. It's pathetic. I don't know that there's anybody on this roster who is less credible against Hogan than Kidman. No. If anything, would it be more interesting if it wasn't just all the old guys versus all the young guys? Like, if, like, somebody like Kidman was allied with Hogan, would that be more interesting? Be his little buddy. Yeah, I, maybe it's just such like a, a, a trite line to draw it down. And they never explain why guys are like, why is Booker give a shit about this? He just been dealing with all this family drama. And now he's like just part of a stable arbitrarily because someone told him he is. Why? Um, Ric Flair came out and did an impassioned promo before being interrupted by Scott Steiner. And then Shane Douglas came out and beat up Flair, even though he doesn't work here anymore. Shane Douglas being a part of this at all also drags it into the muck. Like, we're going to do the Shane Douglas-Ric Flair feud because Shane Douglas used to do promos on him in ECW when, like, a hundred people were watching. Here's the other thing, too. It's just like, I, I get why they thought they needed him, because can anyone in the the young blood or the new blood Nobody actually cut a fucking promo? Steiner. Like, Steiner. Why is Steiner in the new blood? Explain Steiner that to me. Steiner is not very new bloody. Yeah. Steiner is a scumbag. I mean, the new blood are the heels. I know that. But, like, he's a scumbag who has been notable friends with most of the members yes. of the Millionaires Club up until and now. He's, I don't know, he's kind of in the middle, but, like, him and Sid are of the same, like, they came in at the same time in the late 80s, and Sid's in the Millionaires Club. Yeah. And why is Bagwell in the young, in the new blood? <laughs> Bagwell is a weak Bagwell's been around crony. a while. That, that makes no sense. He was around when Two Cold Scorpio was here. Kurt Hennig and Jeff Jarrett had a match which was interrupted by the debuting Sean Stasiak, who they referenced as having had some trouble when he was in New York. Yikes. Sean Stasiak. Sean debuting to get a big push. I don't know. Look, 
they had the people to work with that they had, right? Yep. And they, there are a couple of people here that I think you really could build around, including a person who has debuted here that I genuinely think you could have built this company around in Mike I, Awesome. I think he's in the next segment, yeah. Kevin Nash Dude. did a promo where he was attacked by the debuting ECW champion Mike Awesome. There was all kinds of legal wrangling with ECW to make this happen as Paul Heyman claimed Awesome was still under contract. Uh, Reportedly, Awesome was supposed to be referred to as the ECW champion, and they were supposed to plug that he had a title defense that Friday on TNN. They kind of half did it. They said he was the ECW champion. They didn't really get in the part about him having a title defense on Friday on TNN. Mm. So they end up working out a deal where Awesome goes back to ECW to lose the title to Taz, who, if you'll remember, was working for the WWF at the time. This is one of the strangest things that ever happened in wrestling. Truly bizarre. I'm not even sure what, aside from the fact that it was something that piqued everyone's interest, I don't even really know what Paul got out of it. Like, it doesn't benefit the company at all. Yeah, have Awesome come back and lose the title, but why not just, uh, why to Taz? He should have lost it to Van Damme. Like, we all understand this. Yeah, had Van Damme quit by then? I can't remember. I don't think so, and I think that's what it was all building to. It was building to Taz and Van Damme for the, or Awesome and Van Damme for the title. I just feel like that that, the company had been building to Taz versus Van Damme for ages. And then when Taz left, all right, let's switch that to Awesome, our champion for like 50 years. Yeah. And then like, if he's leaving all of us, I think Van Damme was hurt. Yeah, well, RVD breaks his leg somewhere in here, and that's how his like epic TV title reign finally ends. But it's just such a shame because the opportunity to put that belt on Van Damme would have made all the difference in the world. But whatever. Anyway, Mike Awesome is here now. The fucking man. He is a difference maker. He looks awesome. He looks incredible. He's got all the credibility in the world. His Couldn't finisher. he have gotten the Hogan feud? This is what I'm saying. I also think that he could have just come into this tournament, the world title tournament, and Might just put it on him. He should have just annihilated everyone and taken the belt. You're it's trying to rebrand trying. this shit? Just do yeah. it. This Hogan. is your new Sid. Hogan got in a limousine, which was promptly hit multiple times by a white Hummer. Um, Bischoff got out of the Hummer. I don't remember if he was driving it here or not, but this is, to this day, wrestling perverts around the world ask who was driving the white Hummer. I guess it was Bischoff all along. It's just funny because if that's really what it was, then why has it been such a mystery all this time? It was. Because that's the thing that would make the most sense. It, they had, I mean, like, I don't think it was ever originally supposed to be a mystery. Like, it was just somebody Savage hired to do it. But then they st- they did a bunch of these White Hummer segments, and it seemed like it was building to a big reveal. This is back in, like, the fall of 99. But it gets dropped because Russo comes in and he just drops it because who cares? It wasn't his story thread. But here they go back to it. But it's funny because this is held up with the higher power storyline and yeah. the who hit stone cold storyline is like, don't make the mystery before you know what the answer is. Yeah. 
The main event was Sting versus DDP. Vampiro interfered and attacked Sting, and Jeff Jarrett smashed a guitar on Kimberly's head. But, like, wouldn't it have been more interesting to have Vampiro be, like, torn because he looks up to Sting and they had just started forming a tag team? And, like, Russo and Bischoff being like, you got to go take him out. That's your task. And then being like, fuck, I love Sting, man. Fuck. Yeah, do you really trust Vampiro to convey any of that in a promo? No. (laughs) After that promo that we saw last week? No. The show ended with the entire roster brawling, and then Bret Hart came out, just kind of disappointedly looked at Russo and Bischoff. Now, I also like the the addition of the idea of, like, who would Bret Hart side with in this? Probably yeah. neither side, because he'd hate both. He thinks they both suck. He could beat all of them. He's way better than all of them. It's but he's bullshit. the one guy who, like, both sides would be like, oh, man, we got to get Bret on our side. Yeah. But, yeah, he hates Hulk Hogan. He hates Ric Flair. He hates Sting. He really just hates everybody. Yeah, he's he hates Bischoff and Russo. Yeah. You know Russo's writing when they bring back Bret Hart. They keep they kept they kept doing that this year, even though he couldn't wrestle. He would just show up every few months. Well, it's the same as when they got him in WWE after he made his comeback yeah. there. And they're like, well, I guess he's the commissioner and the U.S. champion, even though he can't take bumps. Sure, why not? The show did a 3.0 rating. That was up about a half point from what they they'd gotten down to about a 2.5. So pretty significant bump in interest here. That's a real you know increase. Like just the idea of giving a chance for people to see your product and be like, huh, maybe there's something there. Maybe I'll tune in next week. I was I intrigued. Yeah, I mean you're the only like version of this that I can trust because I wasn't watching at the time and you actually were. So you were one of the people they were trying to get back. Yeah. And like, you know, they did enough here that I'm like, yeah, I'm inter- like, I like the old, the old versus young thing is interesting. You know, bunch of new champions, bunch of guys are debuting exciting stuff. I mean, this is, they probably overpacked this show a little bit, but comparatively nothing had been happening for months at this point. So yeah, Having a bunch of crazy angles was refreshing. Yep. All right. So on this show, we're going to have, we're going to crown new WCW champion, United States champion, cruiserweight champion, tag champion, hardcore champion. We've got the tournament final for the WCW title between DDP and Jarrett. We've got a tournament for the U.S. title and a tournament for the tag titles and then we're just going to have matches for the hardcore title and the cruiserweight titles. Two different tournaments and a tournament final. Oh, boy. 14 matches we're going to get. And every single one of them has minimum one segment in between. One interview, <sighs> one backstage action segment, one something. There are, I believe, 30 segments on this show. I believe that might be low. I just, it's a lot. Yeah, it's so much. <laughs> I mean, I guess we didn't really point out that Nitro we just talked about was the go home show for the pay per view. Like they, like, I mean, they're just building this. But I mean, they've written off the pay per view at this point. Although it ends up drawing better than their recent pay per views have, but they they have no time to build to this pay per view. So this pay per view 
it's a bunch of matches, but they also have a bunch of, you know, story advancing segments because all these stories have just started. It's actually a good idea to sell the pay-per-view, though, yeah. because what you've been producing obviously wasn't selling. What about Total Mystery? What yeah. the fuck is going to happen? Tune in for some actual story progression. Yeah, I don't. I mean, I guess we, we knew what the world championship match was. The rest of it, I, I don't remember having any idea who was going to be in any of the other matches. I can't imagine anyone would have known because a lot of this seems pretty fucking random. All right. Are you ready for the Spring Stampede 2000 lightning round? I'm thrilled. (laughs) Ready to Rumble debuted with a $5.6 million showing at the box office. That was pretty bad. This movie lost a lot of money. Steve, were you one of this $5.6 million? No, I didn't see this until I rented it months later. I'm proud to say that we finally come to a thing that I didn't buy myself because I wasn't watching at the time. On 60 Minutes, Andy Rooney did a commentary about how pro wrestling was fake. Andy, we know. It's 2000. Old man Andy Rooney being like, you, you whippersnappers with your wrestling, don't you know it's fake? I remember when I went down to the Dallas Coliseum in 1954, and I was like, shut the fuck up. Brian Nobbs' hair caught on fire as he was walking out to the ring during the reboot Nitro. This was during the opening segment. This is insane. Yeah. Um, It makes sense because there's more hair dye in that than there is anywhere else on the face of the earth. Buff Bagwell was was reported to be making $700,000 a year. (laughs) That's insane. That is ludicrous. Is that the most a wrestler has ever been overpaid? I I would be hard-pressed to find another. What about... That's a tough one. Yeah, that's way up there. I mean, what was Mark Henry's deal? Mark Henry was only on about a $500,000 contract, I think. Yeah, I think so. I mean, granted, at least Buff could work a match, and Mark Henry really couldn't. But still, guys, this is insane. Seven hundred grand for Buff Bagwell. For Buff Bagwell, who was flat out a net negative in every segment he appeared in. Bob Mould quit again. I think this was for the third time. Gosh. He's a very dramatic man. Yeah. Tank Abbott tore Mark Madden's shirt off while attacking him on the April 10th Nitro. Nobody wants to see that. Russo said in an interview that he hadn't watched a single episode of WCW TV since he left. Believe it. No one else had either. There's nothing on this show that indicates that he had even remotely seen what had been going on before. There's nothing. Sid suffered an alleged shoulder injury. Also, it was softball season. I love the idea that not only did Bischoff call him out for softball season, and he was like, oh, shit, you're right. It is softball season. I do have a game tonight. But also Sid being like, oh, uh, this is a weird storyline where you've just suddenly turned me heel and made me fourth potato behind Hogan. Whoops, gotta go. Brad Armstrong reportedly suffered a knee injury while him and Hoovy and Psychosis were reenacting the who ran over Stone Cold angle in a parking lot. Wait, on television or just for fun? Just for fun. 
Oh, my God. They just had their rental car in the arena parking lot. They were like, okay, I'm going to drive up, and you're going to jump up on the hood like Austin. And he hurt himself, unsurprisingly. I don't know that he was driving. But if Juventud Guerrera told you, hey, man, trust me, I'll be going the right speed and I'll slow down just in time. I would never. Never. Just like the idiocy here. It's like, yeah, that's a dangerous stunt. Like you're going to get thrown off the car and land on concrete. They used a stuntman for that for a reason. I had to say, it wasn't Austin. No. Duh. Of course it wasn't. No. And finally, the hammer. The infamous segment with the wall on top of the hotel took place on the spring break nitro. That's the wall, brother. It's the wall. He's up there. This may be the most referenced segment (laughs) in the history of this podcast. Because every time the word wall comes up, Steve has to say, it's the wall. Okay, so to set the stage. It's the spring break nitro, so it's outdoors. They're like out on the beach somewhere. They were not where they know. They weren't in Panama City this time. Um, but like Hogan's in the ring doing a promo, and then like a spotlight shines on a hotel that I swear is like ten miles from the arena. It's so far. No one can see the wall. He is so tiny. And Hogan just has to be like, look, up there. It's it's the wall, brother. He can't see that it's the wall. He's like a stick figure from here. There's no, you can vaguely tell that someone's actually up there. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, it's the wall, brother. That's the wall. And the wall makes like the choke slam signal, like he's going to choke slam Hogan off the building. Yep. Which I would have loved to see. Would have been revenge for what Hogan did to the Giant at Halloween Havoc 95. Oh, God. Somewhere I was smiling. All right. So to get into the show, it's Sunday, April 16th, 2000. We are at the United Center in Chicago, Illinois. Um, 12,000 on hand. A pretty good crowd. I didn't get the gate, but I'm sure, I'm sure it's heavy paper. I would imagine. The show does 115,000 buys, a number they will never beat again. Woof. That's, I mean, they've done, I think, 60,000 the previous month at Uncensored, so they almost doubled it. Like, that is actually a success. I mean, this show is the last real show that anyone ever buys for this company is that fair to say i think bash at the beach gets to exactly a hundred thousand but like it feels like this is the last when you do a reboot like this and you go all in you only get one chance like tna tried to do this 14 at more times after they got their first chance they're just about to do it again yeah and look guys it never works after the first time you don't you you whiff on the first time, pack it up, come back as a whole different promotion down the line. New guys, new everything. But as long as you continue to be this, all you'll ever be is a ghost of what you were. On commentary, we've got Tony Schiavone, Scott Hudson, and Mark Madden. Scott Hudson's a perfectly fine commentator, but I hate him because he's the guy Russo gives all the insider lines to. He really is, and that's 
weird because you would think that would be Madden. That felt yeah. like Madden's And Madden's role actually on the show. funny when he does it. I don't know about all that. Look, we've said too many nice things about Mark Madden on this show this season. We open with Bischoff, Russo, and Kidman talking about the fact that Hogan checked himself out of the hospital. Their idea for Money Kidman is to have him be like the RVD character who's like so disaffected. He's like, hey, chill out, bro. It's all good. And like, but he has no, it's not honest. It doesn't feel like him. He's not compelling or charismatic. He's just a guy. The announcers then talk about the matches tonight. They say the rules are going to be relaxed tonight because they want actual finishes, not disqualifications. I mean, that's good. Sure. Now, they kind of do do what I had suggested, where it's like you take all of the the millionaire club guys and, like, stack the deck against him. Yeah. Because especially – Basically, Sting and Ric Flair and Lex Luger as a team have that exact experience here. So the opening match, it's the tag title tournament. We've got Lex Luger and Ric Flair against the Mamelukes. But then, well, first, Flair comes out wearing slacks and a polo. Um, I think this was him being insecure about his body. Had to have been, especially since they've got him tagging with Luger, which made, must have really made him feel insecure. Really hurting his feelings, yeah. Yep. Russo comes out and adds the Harris boys to the match. Was this a handicap match or a three-way? It was technically a three-way, but it was fun. It's listed as the Harris brothers and the Mamelukes being on the same team. Yeah. But if they had won, do they both go through? Who knows? I know fucking knows. The Mamelukes and the Harris boys have been feuding. I don't, you know, maybe that comes into play. Maybe it doesn't. Literally, the Harris brothers robbed the Mamelukes of the belt and then had their belt stripped away. And then that doesn't exist anymore. Not even the, not the feud or the fact that the Harris brothers were the champions. That's just gone. At some point in this match, two big Italian dudes show up and they drag Disco to the back. I like that this is like, I feel like Russo's going back to like yes. the Tony Marinara thing because he liked it. And I'm like, fine, great. I like this. Let's go back to that. Think, yeah, this is where it's either they're mad at Disco because he stole the Mamelukes or he's in gambling debt. I, the gambling debt thing may have been before. I love, I wanna, wanted to have a segment where we found out that like Disco had bet a million dollars that it was actually like Bill Watts coming back to run the company. Uh, the Mamelukes and the Harris boys start fighting. That allows Luger to tag in. Vito goes up to the top rope, and he takes so long to jump off that Luger, like, literally shrugs to the crowd, like, what the hell is this guy's problem? It might be the funniest moment of Lex Luger's career. As for once, he is not the laughing stock, and he's letting everybody know. <laughs> Luger gets Johnny the Bull in the torture rack, and he gives up, and Luger and Flair overcome the odds and win. But this is only the first round of the tag team tournament. There's many more matches left. This probably just should have been for the belt, right? Like, you don't really need... Yeah. Okay. I don't even remember Nothing what the rest of these other matches is. Yeah. 
Like, there's nothing wrong with that. This show, really, that wouldn't be fixed by just having one match for all the belts. And well, that's how the show goes. Talk about the next match. This next match might be something that was wrong with the show. Oh, you think? You think so? <laughs> First, Mean Gene interviews Mike Awesome, who has been added to the U.S. title tournament. Bam Bam Bigelow interrupts and Awesome beats him up. And then they show the promo for the upcoming Jimmy Hart versus Man Cow Muller match. Okay, now we have to say, who is Man Cow Muller? Man Cow, I assume he's still on radio, but he was like a reasonably popular, like Howard Stern kind of knockoff shock jock back in the 90s. And his show was syndicated nationally, but it was based out of Chicago. So, like, he was a pretty well-known Chicago radio personality, I think. This would be pretty similar, not quite, to having Howard Stern show up at an L.A. show and, like, wrestle somebody. Not Which, quite that bad. Like, I don't think he was as not, not nearly that big, but, Maybe like... More, more Don Imus level. Yeah. But at least it's something that I understand. Like, all right. You got a local Chicago. So yeah. Obviously, he's going to hype up the show all over the, the radio waves in Chicago. That's good. That's that's pretty positive. I, I mean, this man is a terrible human being who sucks. Sure. <laughs> so it's difficult, much like most shock jocks, honestly. And his Wikipedia page was a fun ride <laughs> into horrifying things that have happened. Lots um, of scummy things. Lots of scummy things, buddy. I did enjoy um, the time he let himself be waterboarded on his show. He deserved that. And and I quote, did it for eight minutes less than the average person could handle. <laughs> and then he revealed it was all a big scam, but that they had fucked up and actually waterboarded him. <laughs> <laughs> who is this guy who was backing up Jimmy Hart? Okay, this huge muscular guy. I thought that was Horace. Was that not Horace over? No, it wasn't Horace. It's um I think I wrote his name down somewhere here. No, just said the big dude. It's not Horace though. So here's what I think is going on. I think this is when they're letting Jimmy Hart book Saturday night. And I think like Saturday night is entirely its own universe, and there's guys who just wrestle on there, and I think this guy was one of them. I guess that makes sense. And that's so funny because that's the idea of giving Jimmy Hart his own universe is obviously going to be wildly different than everything else on the show is because he's Jimmy Hart. Yeah. Jimmy Hart. Yeah. Surprised he didn't book the honky tonk, man. What if like all the, it, what if like Bischoff tuned in one day and was just like, who the fuck are all these people? <laughs> I mean, I think they just fired all of them and got in a cost-cutting move instead, and then they canceled. And then they canceled Saturday night. It's like, did he just hire all of Memphis? Why is Jerry Jarrett here? <laughs> uh, Man Cow actually gets a pretty nice pop from the crowd. He's got models with him and an entourage consisting of Al Roker Jr., Freak, and Turd the Bartender. Like how there's just got, how every shock jocks. Yeah. Yeah. Every shock jock in America had this group of weirdos that they just was the whole deal. I can't imagine a more miserable existence than being one of these guys. It's like being a geek geek show. It is. <laughs> yeah. It's tough to get a guy to geek. 
It, it should be. Uh, the big dude gets in the ring and throws Man Cow out to the floor onto his entourage. And then Man Cow hits Hart with a chair and pins him. And then Kidman comes in and beats up Jimmy Hart to mess with Hogan. Good continuity there. I'm going to be honest with you. Like, this wasn't as bad as it should have been. And that's... Okay. I'm not saying anything nice here. But, like... Like, Man Cow seemed like he was really enjoying himself. Yeah. That's fine. <laughs> yeah. Like, this, it was short. It was good pro- local promotion for the show. Probably should have just been a dark match. I agree. But, you know... It is what it is. <laughs> and Russo yells at the Mama Lukes and the Harris boys backstage. He's got sure. his baseball bat. He's a tough guy. He has Russo co-opting the baseball bat right away as soon as he becomes an on-screen character was so, so Russo. Take that, Sting. Then, U.S. title tournament match. We've got the Wall Brother against Scott Steiner. Why is Scott Steiner coming out to the old Steiner Brothers music? Steve, I had I was so desperate to ask you that question. Maybe because it's a, maybe it's a dub, but what would they be dubbing over? Like they wouldn't have given him like strange new music because he's still a heel. He never yeah. did turn face. No, he's still got the Papa Pump character. Why doesn't he just have the big Papa? Or did he? Maybe he hadn't gotten his big Papa Pump music yet, and he'd just been coming out to the NWO theme this whole time. I genuinely thought that I had lost my fucking mind <laughs> when Steiner line started playing. And like, it's not a parody or anything like that, which would be kind of funny if they, if like they were mad at him and they made him come out to his old Steiner brothers music, that would be kind of funny. Oh yeah. If this was like a William Regal walking to the ring and Brian Danielson has queued up, he's yeah. a man's man. That would have been funny as hell, but no, it just seems like this is that. I don't know. By the way, uh, real quick, uh, the man with J- Jimmy Hart was Emery Hale. Oh, that's right. Hale, they called him. Well, that's yeah. done, Steve. Once upon a time, a Lord Humongous. I, a future a lot of some Steve will be named all the Lord Humonguses. God, there have been a lot of them. Tyler, May, lot. Tyler Mayne may have been one of them. I believe he was. I think Sid was one, right? Oh, Sid, Sid was the original, I think. Sid was the fourth. Oh, shit. His more son Lord, was there have one. Been more Lord Humonguses than Tiger Masks. They're genu- they're genuinely have. There've only been five Tiger Masks. <laughs> there were three in one year. <laughs> the Wall beats on Steiner, and then he goes outside and sets up a table. Wall tries to choke slam Steiner, but Steiner rakes his eyes, and then Wall choke slams the referee. Th- through a table because he's blind. Although, shouldn't he be able to tell the weight difference between the referee and Scott Steiner? Probably, but I would be lying if I said this wasn't one of my favorite finishes to a match that I've ever seen. This ruled. Like, what a great fucking idea for a finish this is. Also, would be remiss if I didn't say, we've been mocking the wall for how he looks this entire time, and he has completely changed his wardrobe. 
Yeah. Unfortunately, he has changed it to the same fucking pair of black dockers as everyone else. What is happening? Why does everyone on this show wear black slacks? The exact same pair of black slacks with a thin black belt and clean lined ironed. What is going on? Uh, mean Gene interviews the cat who says he wants to wrestle James Brown tonight, and then Bam Bam Bigelow attacks him. Sure. Funny that Bam Bam's on this show so much, considering that he had basically been written off. Yeah. yeah. I thought he was dead after that last show. He's on this one, though yep. he's not going to have a good time. Then we've got another U.S. title tournament match, Mike Awesome against Bam Bam Bigelow. Okay, but wait. I'm going to stop you right there. Yeah. Is, is this it match actually? between Mike Awesome and Bam Bam Bigelow? It's unclear. They start off fighting, but then the cat comes down. And then Bam Bam just wanders off. Yeah, he just fucks off. He's just like, oh, this was a big mistake. I, I shouldn't have been fighting Mike Awesome. Boy. And then Mike Awesome kills Ernest Miller and pins him and wins the match. So who was the match between? So the cat runs down, he knocked out Bigelow with a sidekick, and then he puts on his red shoes and he dances. Then Awesome hits him with a clothesline and an an awesome splash to end a very strange match. I just, I... I, It It makes your head hurt. It makes more sense if you assume that the match was always Miller versus Awesome, and Bam Bam and Awesome were just fighting before the match started. I guess. but the announcers don't know that, so we don't know that. No one knows what the fuck is going on here. Again. Also, having Awesome wrestle a bunch of fucking jabronis, and I know that you like Ernest Miller, but, like, what? A, that is not how you debut this new guy. It's really not. Mean Gene interviews Shane Douglas and Buff Bagwell, and then we've got a tag team tournament match. Harlem Heat 2000 against Shane Douglas and Buff Bagwell. What a bizarre match to put on a pay-per-view. The idea that anyone in this match could ever be a babyface, has ever been a babyface, and certainly would be considered one here, is wild. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. These are... I love Stevie Ray. And 1996 Little Kush liked Ahmed Johnson. Sure. These people fucking suck in 2000. Douglas hits his, he manages to hit his fisherman brain buster on Big T, which is pretty impressive. And he pins him in three minutes. Thank God they kept this short. This is basically the end of Ahmed Johnson's entire career. (laughs) I think they fire him shortly after this. I mean, what else can you really do? When he gets, like, when the pin happens, at one point, Big T is, like, sitting in the corner and Stevie Ray's being pinned. And he looks for all the world like he knows he's supposed to break up that pin, but he yeah, just dude. doesn't have the wind to get across the ring. Mean Gene gets a word with Booker T, and then we've got a U.S. title tournament match. Booker T against Sting for the only time I ever remember. This, first of all. and. This should have been the finals of this. It probably should have been the finals of the world title tournament. This is the one real thing on this whole show. Like, the idea that you gave this away, match 6 of 14, is an insult to me. Yeah, like a borderline dream match. 
It's like when we covered that random Bret Hart versus Booker T match that was in like the mid card of that yep. pay per view, and it's just like, why? You could have drawn with that. Man, how about the pop Sting got here? Sting is. God, it wouldn't it be great if he had something to do? Because <laughs> like the fans want him to be good so bad. He seems pretty checked out at this point. Yes, he does. He, take, he, does when, take, he takes some bumps here. He, I think he had enough respect for Booker that he wanted to put on a good match. Well, that's the thing. Imagine if the world United States World Title Tournament had already taken place on TV, and it's just the finals, and it's here, and it's just this match. That's good. That's exactly the kind of match I want to buy on pay-per-view. Fantastic. Let's go. Uh, they fight out to the floor where Sting drops or Booker drops Sting on the announce table. Booker hits the axe kick, but Sting kicks out. Then Booker follows up with a flapjack. Sting makes his comeback. He hits a stinger splash, tries again, but Booker cuts him off with the Harlem sidekick. And then Sting gets Booker um, with the scorpion death drop and gets the pin. Six minutes, but very good while it lasted. Wish we could have gotten more. And that's the thing. If you had cut a bunch of these other matches and could have yeah. given this 16 minutes, I think they could have killed. Like, absolutely legendary. Sting goes to leave, but Booker grabs him. They get back in the ring, and Booker gives him a respectful fist bump. Which you would think would be the beginning of a character arc for Booker, but it's not. Because he's G.I. Bro by the he's end of the year. He's G.I. Bro, yeah. Well, yeah. he's G.I. Bro, like, next month, and then he goes back to being Booker T, and they put the world title on him. But you would think this would be the beginning of a non-G.I. Yeah. Bro-related arc, where he's just, like, outside the bounds of both of these stables and rising up the ranks, you know? Nope. Nope. <laughs> Uh, mean Gene interviews Kidman, Tori Wilson, and Bischoff. Yep. Cannot stand Billy Kidman. I hate him. I just, and it's not in like a, a compelling way. It's just like a fuck. Like, yeah. What are they doing? Of all it's, the kind, of all the talent on this roster, to be like Billy Kidman should be our new top heel. The one thing that's very difficult to find in wrestling history is times that somebody was pushed in such a way that made you genuinely indignant. That, like, that person has no fucking business being here. And there are very few examples. Ronnie Garvin, world champion, yep. that, that's a famous example. Uh, Jack Swagger, world champion, turned out to be sure. such an example. There's so, just a couple guys who they get... There's a few nepotism cases like Eric Watts. Sure. And, like, they just get pushed to a certain point... At which the fans all cumulatively go, oh, no, no, not him. No, no, this is wrong. All right. U.S. title tournament. We've got Vampiro against Kidman. It's one of the longer matches of the night is they get over eight minutes. They get more time than Stig and Booker did. Well, they had also been a tag team right before this, which I guess it makes sense. They're in the same stable, but Vampiro doesn't like it's weird. They they don't really make anything of that, but it, it, they are in the same stable. They wrestle for a while, and then we cut to the parking lot where Hogan pulls in in a classic Dodge Charger, gets out, and heads to the ring. I'm going to be totally honest. From the moment Hulk Hogan hits yeah. the like comes in on on this show to the moment that he leaves it, 
this might be the coolest Hulk Hogan we've ever seen. He's electric like, here. He's mad. Yeah. He's got energy. It seems like the man Terry Bollea is like, I finally have like something here. Like I'm not just doing 80s retreads anymore. I can get my teeth into this. Yeah. Well, the divorce between Hogan and Bischoff is pretty compelling, isn't it? Yeah. Hogan storms to the ring. He beats the shit out of Kidman, which is awesome. And he slams him through the announce table and throws him back in the ring so Vampiro can pin him. Then he it, says it, he's going to go after Bischoff. It occurred to me watching this. We've never seen a really vengeful Hogan. Like, as a babyface, he was always, like, a really nice guy for the most part. And as a heel, he was a chicken shit. Yeah. We've never seen avenging angel yeah. Terry Bollea. You see how terrifying this man is when he's mad? He's 6'6", 280. Yeah. I love the idea of him suddenly turning into Brock Lesnar and beating the fuck out of people. Yeah. Then you remember, oh, this dude is massive. Yeah, he could mess you up. He is so much bigger than Vampiro and Billy Kidman that oh, it's a joke. <laughs> Bischoff goes to take off, but Russo tells him to stay and he'll take care of it. He has a plan. Hogan goes through the back in a rage looking for Bischoff. He gets into Bischoff's office, but is then cut off by a bunch of Chicago police officers who pull guns on him and handcuff him. I took a screenshot of this. And it's one of the greatest images I've ever yeah. seen in wrestling. It's Hulk Hogan in a chair much too small for him, cowering up against the wall as real cops with real guns are trained on him. And he looks genuinely scared, as he should be. Those are real fucking guns. Hogan sold the guns. And on the back, on the wall in the background, it's just this tiny little sta- uh, spring stampede sign that's like crooked on the wall. And it's just, it's like a renaissance painting. Yes, yeah, so they handcuff Hogan and drag him out of the arena. This was awesome. Couldn't believe this how is, good this was. This is a direction I can buy into. Yeah. Hulk Hogan's fucking pissed. And these chicken shits, Bischoff and Russo, paid off the cops to protect them. But can't, Terry's going to get to him eventually. Then Terry Taylor talks to terry funk i think funk asks him if he's seen norman smiley the announcers acknowledge that terry taylor is a stooge because taylor stooges off that he saw smiley and catering i'm going to make a request of you steve i would like to paint a match long word picture here of what i for my money might be the greatest match in wcw history i love (laughs) I laughed out loud at this match at least five times. So let's go through what happens during the course of this match. Terry Taylor says, yeah, he's in catering hiding from you. Terry Funk asks, where's catering? And Terry Taylor, without missing a beat, says, turn right at the Doritos. Yeah. Funk wanders down the hall, and then there's a table with two bags of Doritos. (laughs) So Terry Taylor is like, oh, there's Doritos over there. I got to remember that for later. He turns a right. He goes into a room with a whole bunch of people in it. It's like most of whom people in catering. They just appear to be like service workers. Funk's like, where the hell did he go? Everyone points exactly <laughs> to the kitchen, except one guy who points in the opposite direction. Yeah. 
And the announcers are like, look at all these stooges. <laughs> Just a bunch of stooges. Mormon Smiley tries to jump out at Funk, immediately knocks his ass to the ground, goes over to a pop or beer cooler, and just dumps all the soda out onto Norman Smiley. And it all explodes. Then he chases him into the kitchen. Norman Smiley climbs through the into the dish pit. As Terry Funk tries to climb through the little hole that the dishes come through, Norman Smiley just starts spraying him with the hose for like 30 seconds. <laughs> Then hits him with the trash can. Then they just go through the hallway while Norman Smiley is screaming constantly for like four straight minutes, get to the ring, and then suddenly Dustin Rhodes appears. Oh, you missed my favorite part where Norman starts climbing up a ladder, but Funk takes it out from under him, and Norman is literally like hanging from a giant pipe in the ceiling. Yes. Funk sets up a table under him and then hits him with a chair until he falls off and goes through the table. It's just, I understand people must have been watching this and being like, what has happened to poor Terry Funk? But for my money, this is the most entertaining shit I've ever seen in my entire life. It's not like, we're not like ruining hardcore wrestling here. We're just having fun. And I love it. Yeah, Dustin Rhodes shows up and attacks Funk, but Funk fights him off and ends up pinning Smiley to win the title. And in my favorite part of this entire thing, Funk stands up, raises his hand, and one second after he raises his hand, a graphic comes up and Tony Schiavone immediately goes, well, if you ordered Spring Stampede, you get a free mouse pad. Yeah, a free mouse pad. Wow. I just love the idea that they must have been going, like, long on time during the course of this or something. But, like, Tony Schiavone's like, I gotta fucking talk about the mouse pad. I gotta throw to the mouse pad. How many people do you think sent in a copy of their cable bill so they could get the mouse pad? Would you have sent it in for the mouse pad? It, It was the robot butthole, so... They had to get rid of those things? Yeah, I had a, I have a picture of the mouse pad I'm looking at right now, and it, it's not good. <laughs> Uh, Russo yells at Booker, and then we've got another U.S. title tournament match. It's Mike Awesome against Scott Steiner. Man, that's another super compelling match with no builder's story. We should not be doing this here. Awesome, once you've established him versus Steiner, is a money match that you should be building, too. Yeah. Uh, Scott starts out doing amateur wrestling, which is very cool to see. Should they have just turned Scott Babyface here? Because why not? The, why not put him in the Millionaires Club? Between the Steiner line and like him doing like all this Matt wrestling shit, he just feels more like Babyface Steiner than we've seen in a long time. And they only have that's the weird weird thing because of the New Blood Millionaires Club thing. They only have like five Babyfaces now. They have Sid, Sting, DDP, Hogan, and Luger, and Flair. That's six. Yeah. And Booker still is, but he's on the bad side. (laughs) They should have just put Booker and Steiner in the Millionaire's Club. Um, Kevin Nash shows up and hits Awesome with a crutch, and then Steiner puts on the Steiner recliner and gets the win. And this is literally one week after his debut, the end of Mike Awesome as a functional, like, part of this company. He's going to be banging fat women about a month after this. 
about a month after that, he's going to be driving groovy buses to ringside. Has anyone ever been buried more than having their gimmick be the fat chick thriller? I don't think anyone who genuinely had the potential to become a main eventer has ever been saddled with a gimmick that bad. Maybe G.I. Bro. Maybe. Maybe, <laughs> Maybe G.I. Bro. <laughs> Man. Just, is there any question he was being ribbed because he actually hooked up with a fat woman on the road? Is that literally how it happened? I always I wondered about know. that. That's what I assume. I mean, John Cena did once too. That didn't become his gimmick. Watching that inter- like watching John Cena having <laughs> talked about that is so crazy because it's so the opposite of his very careful, oh very God. structured yeah. like public persona. But him being like, "Yeah, I banged this fat chick on the road because everyone dared me to." It was all right. <laughs> Finding out that John Cena was like the legendary rat slayer, like the Pied oh, Piper God. of the of bar scene. Time. Yeah. Uh, Russo yells at Rhodes for blowing the finish and uh, fires him. He says that the only time he ever got over was when he was gold dust, and that was when Russo was writing his lines for him. The idea that these two men are having an argument over which one of them was responsible for a character in a different company is crazy. This promote like this promotion is so online. Like they're booking entirely for the internet audience. And note, if you do that now, it only sort of works. Yeah. Back then the internet audience was it's like insane. maybe a million people, maybe. Yeah. It's like 10% of your audience, I'd say, is reading the sheets. Tops. Meanwhile, the other 5 million wrestling fans have no idea what the fuck you're talking about. Then, a U.S. title tournament match. Sting against Vampiro. Big match. Brothers in paint. Explode. Doesn't last very long. Now, Vampiro controls most of the match, but Sting turns the tide. He hits the Scorpion Death Drop and then puts Vampiro in the Scorpion Death Lock and beats him. Why are we doing all these matches tonight? This is what I'm saying. What if we staggered these out? What if we didn't have a tournament and just had matches? I I don't know, wow, man. I what don't... an idea. Here's a stump, Steve. Who were the champions before this? Ooh, we literally just covered a show about this, la- like, literally not even, like, three days ago. We did this. <laughs> um, Sid was the WCW champion. Harris Brothers were the champion. Champions. Harris Boys were the tag champs. Ikea uh, was the Cruiserweight champion? Yes. Um, Who was the, the hardcore champion? The hardcore champion Nobs? was Nobs, I believe. Yeah. And uh, the TV champion was Jim Duggan because he found it in the trash. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. I forgot. Intense disrespect to the proud tradition of the TV title. Title that was held by Arn Anderson, Steve Austin, Sting, Muda, Booker T. Many great men. Found it in the trash. I mean, he was the janitor. He was the janitor. He was. So, I mean. <laughs> yeah. Makes sense. Logic. Finders keepers, baby. 
Mean Gene interviews DDP, and then we've got a cruiserweight title six-way match. We've got Juventud Guerrera, Chris Candido, Lash LaRue, The Artist, Crowbar, and Shannon Moore. Okay, here's the best thing about this match. It is a six-man cruiserweight match that gets five minutes. And you would assume that that would be a a clusterfuck, right? But it's actually a ten-way match. (laughs) Yeah, because we also have who? Daphne... David uh, Flair, Paisley, and Sonny. Sonny, yeah. So, one, Candido has clearly been literally sleeping in his tanning bed. I cannot believe how tan he is. Like, he out-tanned Hogan. It's crazy. I don't think anyone's ever out-tanned Hulk Hogan, but Candido did it. He went for it, man. Uh Daphne gets confused and accidentally hits Crowbar with a Hurricane Rana off the top rope. Daphne is so awesome. Daphne is the star of this match. Oh, yeah. There are 10 people here, including Sonny. Sonny. And Daphne still puts them all to shame. Sonny shows up to help Candido get the win. And then we get a cat fight between Sonny and Paisley. At one point, Charles Robinson tries to intervene, and Shannon Moore does too. And they both get the ball claw as yeah. revenge. And he grabs him by the dick. I mean, yeah. That'll stop him. wonder if she pulled that on Ziggler. Oh, God. Must be said, Sonny's looking great here. Yeah. Um, this is really one of her last times that it won't be very obvious how bad things are going. Yeah, I don't remember her being around for very long. I don't think she was even here the next month. I don't think so. Assume she washed out pretty fast. I wouldn't be surprised. I don't remember Candido being around for very long either. I don't really remember what happens here at all. (laughs) Fair enough. Fuck it. I don't know. I don't know who wins this match. I'm going to be totally honest. Oh, apparently Candido Candido. wins. Candido won. Oh, yeah. yeah. He's the cruiserweight bully. Fair enough. Then uh, Buff Bagwell and Shane Douglas against Ric Flair and Lex Luger. It is at this point that I have to say, this is where I stopped reviewing this show originally. Like, for those who may not know, because it's been, God, like a decade now, I used to do a thing called Q's Reviews where I would review these shows and make GIFs and make pictures, and do all of this shit and post it online back in the day when you actually read things instead of just listening to people talk about them. Um, And this was, I believe, the 30th thing that I had had to write for this one review, and it had taken me three and a half weeks. At which point, I not only stopped the review, I quit blogging altogether. (laughs) It was time. Nobody reads. Yes. Like, to this day, the ironic thing is, now, if you search for Q's reviews online, it's the only one that remains. So you can literally go and see my despair. <laughs> for what? For what cause do we fight? The last line I wrote was, before the match starts, we get the pleasure of Vince Russo joining us for commentary. And that was it. That was the that line that couldn't you. be crossed. It's like, um... Uh, who was the dude in Greek mythology who had to push the rock up the mountain every day? Atlas? That doesn't sound right. 
Yeah, I don't know. I know who you're talking about though. Yep, that That's was me. you trying to write this review. Like, I spent days and days and days on it, and it still wasn't any good. Because <laughs> the show wasn't any good. I almost made it to the end. There's only two matches after yeah. this. You made it through 10 or 11 matches. I just couldn't go any further. Uh, also worth mentioning, on the way into the ring for this show, uh, the announcer spent the entire time openly speculating about why Ric Flair is dressed the way that he's dressed. <laughs> Minuscule calves. Yeah. Mushroom infused. Sheesh. Ric Flair has said that in this era he was a cosmetic disaster. It's not that bad. It's just embarrassing to see him think so little of himself. It is. It's sad. Like how much of a shell of himself he's become here. It really is. This company's just broken him. Uh, Luger throws Douglas around, but once Flair tags in, he gets worked over. Flair manages to tag out to Luger. Uh, Flair puts Douglas in the figure four, but Bagwell breaks it up. Bagwell goes for the blockbuster on Flair, but accidentally hits it on Douglas instead. That's the exact same spot Daphne did in the last match. Sure is. Is anybody watching this shit? I don't think so. Russo pulls the ref out to break up the count, and then Brian Clark and Brian Adams show up in the same pairs of black slacks as everyone else and double choke slam Luger. The mystery of this season will now and forever be, and I'm not joking, what is going on with these pants? It's not just some of the guys, it's all, all of them. And it's faces and heels and yeah. sidekicks and management, it's everyone. <laughs> This was just what people wore back then. Is how they, people dressed. They all wore the same pair of black chinos. They all dressed like the Hardy Boys. I guess, man. I. <laughs> Russo rips the referee's shirt off Nick Patrick. We did not need to see Nick Patrick shirtless. Why are we just stripping everybody down? <laughs> he counts the three, and Douglas and Bagwell are the new tag team champions. Mean Gene interviews Steiner backstage, and then he interviews Sting. And we've got Scott Steiner versus Sting for the U.S. title. Why do you I think mean, this is the tournament final? This is, seems bizarre, because I don't know why Sting needs to be involved in the U.S. title anyway. Shouldn't this be like, I guess if you're the Millionaire's Club, like you don't really have any like cannon fodder. <laughs> but it feels like DDP and Sting should be switched, right? That would be reasonable, but Sting isn't Eric Bischoff's best friend in the world. It's true. It's also just kind of weird to see him, like, him and Steiner feels like it's a big match that's never actually yeah. happened. <laughs> They've done a lot of cool matches tonight that just don't get any time. Right. Um, they're hitting each other with big moves. Neither guy can keep the other down. Scott hits a big T-bone suplex, and then he just goes down to the floor and gets in some fan's face. I loved that. <laughs> That's the thing about Scott Steiner in this era. Just absolute wild card. Can set him off anytime. But that's what made him so fascinating to watch as a fan. Is that just like 
anything could happen, especially if you're watching this live. He could punch that fan. You don't know. Yeah. He could call Ric Flair a butt-sucking ass kisser and say WSW sucks. He could bring out a, a live tiger on Nitro. I would like to see him wrestle a tiger. He would probably would consider it. Sting hits two clotheslines and a stinger splash. He goes for another one, but he gets the referee, and he hits a third stinger splash. He goes for a fourth one, but Vampiro comes out of the ring and drags Sting down to hell. Down to hell. Vampiro lets Sting up. Uh, Sting has like chewed a blood capsule in his mouth. Uh, reportedly, they wanted him to be much bloodier, but he refused. I <laughs> doesn't want to scare the little stingers. I mean, that's probably for the best. I just don't really know what the fuck we're doing here. Steiner puts Sting in the Steiner recliner and he gets the win. Scott Steiner is the United States champion again. Not a bad idea for the person to have holding that belt to come out of all of this. It just kind of seems like pushing someone like Steiner up higher into the company is what this should all be about. Yeah. Steiner is one of the few credible Goldberg opponents they've got. And that's really what this should all be about, right? Restructuring the company for Goldberg. All right. Main event time. For the WSW world title, Diamond Dallas Page versus Jeff Jarrett. Uh, Jeff Jarrett's not quite his first pay-per-view main event. I guess he was in the main event of Super Brawl. Um, they fight out into the crowd. There's no camera out there, so we have to use the long shot from the crane. I actually like that because it made this feel more out of control. I like that a lot. Yeah. Um, I, I love the idea of a match like breaking down to such an extent that they have to go with whatever camera feed they have on it. Uh, they fight back to ringside. Page levels Jarrett. He goes to the top rope, but Jarrett crotches him. Jarrett then starts working on Page's back, which I think is injured for real. He's been missing time with it, and he'll end up retiring um, a couple years after this due to those back injuries. But then he'll heal it with DDP yoga. That's the fascinating thing is that, like, of all the people who have actually come back from what were supposed to be career-ending injuries, it's almost all necks. Usually... Back injuries, like, yeah. there's nothing you can do about that. Not only is he in better shape now at, like, damn near 70 than he ever was before, but he's saved other people's lives with yoga. We still have Jake Roberts now. Yeah, that's amazing. Jarrett telegraphs a backdrop, and Paige gets him with a power bomb. Then he clotheslines him over the top. They go back in the ring. Page crotches Jared on the ring post. Page goes for the diamond cutter, but Jared blocks by holding the ropes. The ref gets poked in the eye in the process. Jared then hits Page with the belt and covers, but Page kicks out at two. Jared gets Page in the figure four, but Page gets the ropes. DP gets Jared with a small package. Then a schoolboy gets two counts on both of them. Jared cuts Page off with a jawbreaker. Page cuts Jared off with a urinagi. Jared catches him in a sleeper. DDP escapes, and then he hits a spinning, swinging sleeper slam. That was very, very cool. This match is 
way, this way. Is really good. This is way better than it should be, right? Yeah, I mean, these are just two guys who know how to work, and you know DDP made him practice this match 50 times. Like, it's was one of those things, like, and Jeff Jarrett is a, a lot better wrestler than most of what DDP's had to work with the last yeah. few years. Bischoff distracts the ref as Paige hits the diamond cutter. Kimberly gets in the ring with Jarrett's guitar, but she hits Paige. Of oh, course God. she does. <laughs> A swerve. Who saw that coming? Uh, it would have been more of a swerve for, for nothing bad to happen. <laughs> Actually, would have been, yeah, the real swerve would have been if she hadn't betrayed her husband. Jared hits the stroke, wins the title. He is Jeff, a first-time world champion. Jared, the WCW world champion. What do you think of putting the belt on Jared here? What the it's fuck second, do you right? think Why I think Steiner? about this? <laughs> Steiner! Scott Steiner's right there! There are five men on this show I think make more sense to win the belt on it. Steiner's one, Booker's one, Sting's one, Page's one. Mike Awesome would have been great. Yep. They're all Jeff fighting Jared. over the U.S. title. Meanwhile, Slapnut the Third has managed to find his way to the. Honestly, this was their one shot. This yeah. was the show that was supposed to show people paying for us is worth it. We're back. Jeff fucking Jarrett. And it ends with the Slapnut Man holding up a broken guitar and with the belt around his waist. Like. It was one thing when TNA made him the world champion. TNA didn't have stars. This company has tons of stars. We've literally had a night of endless stars in endless matches only to end with this. Possibly the least cool man in the world holding the world title. And I actually think there's a lot of potential around Paige having the belt here because he's so sympathetic. Hogan and Sting and these other guys have trouble being sympathetic because they've they've won so much and they're so awesome. And they're like, Sid has trouble getting sympathy, right? He said, yeah. But putting it on Paige and having him be the centerpiece of it, like there's stakes there. It's at least a little intriguing. Having the other millionaires like back up Paige to be like, look, man, I should have that belt, but you're the one who has it and you're representing us. So fuck it. Like, Every match genuinely could be lost. Ooh, Bischoff throws his arm around Kimberly as the show ends. Damn. Again, and that's probably also a dirt sheet reference because we've all known, like, it's been reported for years and years that Bischoff and Kimberly were fucking constantly. Whole lot of wife swapping going on in WCW, it seems like. Like, I, I wish Bischoff had made that overt and been like, yeah, after all that time swapping your wife, I decided to just take her for my own page. I mean, I think they, I don't know if, I, I think they did reference the fact that they're neighbors and like, oh yeah, Bischoff stole Paige's wife. Because you would not, I mean, Silver Fox Eric Bischoff, you would not want to leave alone with your middle-aged wife. I completely agree. Oh boy, that would be dangerous. Oof. All right, we come to the end of this death of WCW season. Dare I say it wasn't as bad as we thought it would be? I think the really bad WCW stuff is actually after this. I had a great time with these shows because while they're terrible and wild and chaotic, they're still an 
ounce of hope and joy to be found. Yeah. Like, we really enjoyed the Mama Lukes. We really enjoyed some stuff here and there. There's good Norm times. Smiley. There's good times to be had. When we come back around for part two of this Boy. season, where we cover the last half of the year, like New Blood Rising and all of that shit, the hope is gone. It's like two weeks after this, they put the world title on David Arquette. It just, which is a shame because they had just put it on Jeff Jarrett, which, you know what? I Might almost, be worse. I almost forgot that trigger stump Steve. Oh! Jeff Jarrett edition. A million time world champion. Funny you should mention how many times a world champion he's been. Because Steve, today's stump Steve is... How many times was Jeff Jarrett world champion? What are we defining as a world title? In this case, the only world championships he could be considered to have held are the WCW world title, the NWA world title, and the TNA world heavyweight title, which he never held. So it was really just the other two. We're not counting the Memphis Grizzlies championship that he beat Jerry Lawler for. Memphis Grizzlies championship. The world deathmatch championship. How many times did he hold the WCW title? It was several. He won it here. He won it back from Arquette in the Triple Cage match. He traded it with Ric Flair. I think twice, actually. That's four. And then... He loses it to Booker, but I think he won it back from Booker. No. That may have been it. I'm going to say I think he's a four-time WCW champion. And then how many times did he hold the NWA title? See, this is the tough part. I will confirm for you that he is a four-time WCW champion. Yes. (laughs) I'm impressed with myself. I actually got that right. Now, you are not super familiar with TNA's belt not the early stuff. So here's the thing about that. I will make this easy on you Um, to some extent. um, I will, gosh, I will tell you the year he won it the first time, and then I will tell you the year he won it the last time. I mean, I think I remember, I think I remember the other people who held the belt. So the period you're looking between, the last time he holds it is June 18th, 2006. Yeah, that's, um... The last time. Is yeah. that the Orlando screw job? I believe it is, yes. Wow, the infamous Orlando screw job. The first time is November 20th, 2002. Yeah. Um, In that time, only eight other people hold the belt. I'm shocked it's that many. Yeah. Okay, I mean, the people I remember holding the NWA title who aren't Jeff Jarrett uh-huh. in that time period. Ron Killens. Uh-huh. Rhino. Oh, I'm forgetting Raven. Yeah. Raven, Rhino, AJ Styles, and then Jarrett loses it to Christian. But he wins it back in the Orlando Screwjob. Something like that. And then he drops it to Sting at Bound for Glory. And I guess that's the last time he ever holds it. I'll tell you this now. Every name that you just said, aside from Sting, Jeff Jarrett beat for the World Championship at some point. Yeah. 
I'm going to say it's 10 times. I count 10, but there's a decent shot somebody in here actually held it twice, and I don't remember it. I'm going to say he's a 10-time world champion. Steve, over the course of his distinguished career, Jeff Jarrett held the World Heavyweight Championship 10 times. Wow! That's right. The NWA title goes Ron Killings, Jeff Jarrett, AJ Styles, Jeff Jarrett, AJ Styles, Ron Killings, Jeff Jarrett, Ray Gonzalez, Jeff Jarrett, AJ Styles, Raven, Jeff Jarrett, Rhino, Jeff Jarrett, Christian, Jeff Jarrett. Man, that is disgusting. (laughs) I am appalled. Yeah. Actually, another little minor stump deep. Uh, where do you think Jeff Jarrett ranks as the lo- longest combined days as NWA champion? Oh, pretty low because like back in the day, people held this belt for years. Um, the tops is Luthez with 3,749 yeah. days. Luthez had what? Seven runs with it or something. And he I only mean, had three. He just held it forever. Wow. Um, like, and uh, did Dory Funk hold it for four years? I think one reign for 1,563 days. Yeah, over four years. Terry Funk held it for a couple years. Um, Flair obviously held it in combination for several years. Um, 3,119 days, second only to Thez. A lot. Harley Race had a lot of reigns, and several of them were, a couple of them were longer. You Um, have named all the people in front of Jarrett except for four. Oh, man, four more. Um, uh, how long did Severn hold this thing? 1,559 days. He's number five. He's above Jarrett? Yep. Uh, was there a Japanese guy who held it for a while in the 90s? Yes, but that's he only held it 469. So okay. He's not, not as long. Um, how long did Tyrus hold it? Tyrus held it for 288 days. 288 days too long? Yep. <laughs> uh, who else held this belt for a long time? Um, I don't think you're going to get Gene Kaniski. He held it one time for a thousand. So yeah. How long so did O'Connor get... hold it? Nine hundred and three. He's right behind Jared on the list. Jeff Jared held the NWA title for longer than Pat O'Connor. Actually, let me let me give you a small. This is more fun. It's Adam Pierce and Nick Aldis are the two ahead of you, but that's not fun. Jeff Jarrett Adam held the Pierce belt. and Nick Aldis, Raw and SmackDown GMs. Isn't that funny? That is. Jeff Jarrett held the belt longer than Pat O'Connor, Jack Briscoe, Buddy Rogers, <laughs> Terry Funk, and then that's a whole bunch of weirdos down here. We don't need to get into all that. And then you get into the later, it's like Barry Windham held this NWA title, Chono. Chono held it, Kojima held it. Yeah. Dusty Rhodes. Yeah, Dusty Rhodes had it several times for like two weeks each time. Three reigns for 107 days, pathetic. Yeah, Yeah, literally held it a month each time. Uh, Baba had this thing very briefly. Muda had it very briefly, too. Not in WCW. He wanted in. He wanted yeah, off the show. He wanted it at the dome, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Rhino held it for two days once. Yeah. Yeah. Jeff Jarrett, Jeff Jarrett. ninth all time. Uh, you know what else did TNA have though? You're right. Yeah. So a wrap on this WCW season. I mean. 
Is WCW dead at this point, or do you think it could have been saved? I think it actually could have been saved here. I think if they had pulled, I think they could have pulled off the reboot, but I just, I don't like the direct, they end up going in such a stupid direction with Russo's book in where they just start changing the world title every two weeks. They put it on our cat. They do all kinds of insane things. The spike in ratings and the reasonably good buy rate here lead me to believe that there was something salvageable here. There was a gem of audience interest that could be reblossomed into something more. This show was the death blow. I genuinely believe that anybody who would have paid money for this show would have come away being like, nope, nope, that wasn't it. We're done. I could not conceive of risking my own wealth on something that these people put out ever again. Hmm. Yeah. But yeah, we'll come back to this to do Death of WCW Part 2 because I really want to get into Arquette and Bash at the Beach and New Blood Rising and all that insanity. But first... It's Wrestle Kingdom time. When we come back after the first of the year, it's time to cover the big one. Wrestle Kingdom 12 from 2018. Kenny Omega versus Chris Jericho with the Dome. Guys, I've been good all year. Yeah. I've said my prayers and I've taken my vitamins and I've watched WCW show after WCW show after WCW show. And now Santa, Santa Steve is going to come down my chimney and bring me Wrestle Kingdom, which will wash it all clean. The greatest maybe show in the history of professional wrestling. Certainly the best internationally drawing non-WWE show of all time. This is, I mean, this is the big one. For a lot of people, this was their entry point into New Japan. If they didn't get in... um when they did the English commentary on Wrestle Kingdom 9, for a lot of people, like when they found out Chris Jericho was going to New Japan, they had to watch this. There's so many elements to this. Chris Jericho, sensing that Bullet Club and Omega were taking off and like just getting in on some of that heat, which is the entire reason he's now got a job 10 years later in AEW, like holding down young guys like Hogan used to do. Uh, Kenny Omega at the peak of his powers. New Japan somehow booking both the hottest American event or match possible and the hottest Japanese match possible at the same time as co-main events. Yeah, which love that we have to dredge up the whole co-main event thing when it's Okada and Naito again. I can't wait to talk to you guys about how much those guys did not care for that. So, yeah. We'll have all that and more next time on the Lawcast. Thanks for listening. We'll see you again next time.